in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Welcome back into another episode of the Sports Hour. This is Mitch Mo, and this is Dallin. Guys, welcome on in to another episode of the Sports Hour, episode one eighty three. We are live again on a Wednesday. It is November the eighth. Good to be here live on YouTube at youtube.com slash the sports hour guys on Twitter uh, or X at uh, sports hour guys. You can join us live every week. Uh, if you're tuning into the podcast on your podcast feed, hello, welcome on in. It's good to be here. Uh, another jam packed show today, Mitch uh, halfway point of the NFL season. So uh celebrating today as we pretty much do every year with uh, some midseason awards. I'm looking forward to this. It's a fun time to kind of look at uh, the story of the NFL season so far, and then maybe even uh, what we expect in the second half. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a, it's a great time of year to kind of almost reflect back on and project ahead. Um, what, what we've seen and what we expect to see in the NFL season. Um, great, great time of year for us. And Dallin, I mean, I just got to say, Halloween's past. We're in November. For me, November 1st hit, the holiday season's upon us. Mm. The holiday season upon us. I feel jolly. Oh. I am jolly from here through December 31st. Um this is this is my favorite time of year, not just for the holiday season, but for the sports season because I feel like this is when the the NFL season, when the college football season, football being our favorite sport here, really starts to get juicy. This is when the meat and bones of, of, of what we've been waiting for, this, what the season's accumulating towards all comes together. And we get to see the real storylines of the NFL season start to develop on this back half. And part of that is what we're going to get into a little bit with these midseason awards, um, what we've seen and what we project seeing forward. So it, it'll be a fun time going through those, those uh, midseason awards. Oh yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously we'll do the campus tour, talk college football. And I mean, there's three weeks left in the regular season in college football. Uh, we're four weeks away from championship weekend. I mean, uh, like the college football season is suddenly almost over, which is crazy. So college football implicate college football playoff implications are huge right now. And we'll have some more fun matchups to talk about this week. Why does the college football season have to go so quickly? Why does it have to go so fast? The difference between the 12 week and the 18 week is really, I mean, I guess 13 when you consider championship weekend. Sure. uh, But the difference between that, it seems huge. I don't, maybe on the calendar, it doesn't seem like that much, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a stark difference between 12 games that you get to play and the full 17 games that every NFL team will play. It just seems like it goes by so damn quick. And it makes me sad every time it's coming to an end. But we know the best part. 
comes to the end. This is the the climax, the top of the mountain. We're ready for it. So absolutely. um, well, yeah, we'll have some of that. We'll have our uh, campus tour. We'll have a little Kraken update in between. Um, and then, of course, as always, Dallin, we'll wind up the show with our quick picks. Um, so lots of stuff going on here, Dallin. And I think we should kick it off right out of the gate with our NFL midseason awards. Not that these awards mean anything to these people because they don't even know we exist. But it's fun for us to give these awards out. So. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk them um, the the sport. I think we called them the sporties last time we talked. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, did this did stuff. yeah, that's good. I like that. Something, something like that. <laughs> uh, your sporty award is in the mail to all these guys. Yes. But let's kick it off, Dallin, uh, with our MVP. Because I think that um, as we look through the NFL season and as we've seen through the first part of this NFL season, there are some clear standout players that have had significant impacts on their team. Um, and only one can win the sporty award for MVP. So Dallin, I'm, I'm intrigued. Where, where does your MVP lie right now? As far as the, the mid season, uh, the midpoint of the NFL season goes. Yeah, this was a fun exercise. So when, when I first thought about this, I had two names that came to mind immediately. Uh, but then of course I start digging. I'm looking at stats. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, obviously quarterbacks. This is a quarterback award, uh, you know, unless somebody does that, something absolutely crazy. Uh, at another position, but uh, I started looking. I ended up writing down five names. Mm. I wrote down Holy five fuck. five quarterbacks just to consider. Not that all five of them were super strong candidates, but five that I think should be in that conversation. Let me just sure. read those five names, and I want to see what you think of that. I mean, it's nothing crazy, pretty chalk, but yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen okay. Hurts, okay, Tua Tungavailoa, uh huh, Josh Allen. Uh-huh. And Lamar Jackson. Yep. Those are the five names I wrote. It feels like those are like the five, right? If you had a top five, those are probably the guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Then it becomes like which who who sort of emerged in this first half uh, to plant the flag, to win the sporty. And for me, Mitch, I ended up going with my quarter mark MVP, which was Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, I stuck with Tua on this one. He leads the NFL in passing yards at 2,609 passing yards. He leads the league with 19 touchdown passes. He, uh, I think he's third in the league in yards per attempt at 8.5 yards per attempt or second, excuse me. Uh, he is, uh, I mean, he's up there. 69.5% uh, of his passes have been completed. That's good for four, tied for fourth in the NFL. Uh, he has been statistically one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, leading the best offense in the NFL Dolphins averaging over 31 points a game this season, six and three record. Yeah. That's not as good as Jalen hurts, or you could say Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson slightly. Uh, But I think Miami has been one of the great stories, especially that offense and the output that we've seen from them. One of the best stories of this season. So at this point I've, I felt good with Tua. So I went with Tua. Not that it was super sold on him, but he was one of those two names that I thought of initially when it came to the MVP discussion. Yeah, I think there's 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 two that really come to mind for me. And I, I'm wonder I'm curious who the second name is because yeah. I think that people are going to differ here because I went with Tua as well for that MVP. Oh, um, and for a lot of the same reasons that you just uh, you just touched on. And look, I mean, this guy. You look look at the yards per pass completion as well. Fourth in the league right now, twelve point two. And when you think about who his number one target is, and even who his number two target is, it makes complete sense that he is completing twelve point two yards per completion. 
um, throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle yeah. on a weekly basis. That makes complete sense. Um, and I also thought about this too. What quarterback of those five? Because I, I I didn't make a list of five, but you certainly listed the five that would be on my list. Which had the bigger impact on their team? It's probably Tua. I think yeah. Tua probably has the bigger impact on his own individual team than any of those other quarterbacks. So Tua does give the slight edge. I am curious to know who that second guy was. And mine was Lamar Jackson. I'm, okay. I'm interested to know if it was that or not. You know, Lamar is like the trendy pick right now. If you look at PFF, PFF gave Lamar the MVP. I think ESPN, I saw, I saw another article and I can't remember who it was. Okay. They also had Lamar as an MVP, which I found a little bit surprising. And you dig into the stats, obviously the rushing stats, uh, he leads all quarterbacks, 440 uh, rushing attempts. It's like 20th in the league, by the way, of any player. Uh, uh, five rushing touchdowns. He's been extremely efficient through the air. 71.5% completion percentage for Lamar. Under 2,000 passing yards. Only nine passing touchdowns to three interceptions. We've seen him take care of the ball better. We've seen him look more under control as a passer. I just struggled with the difference between nine passing touchdowns and 19 passing sure, touchdowns. Sure, 100%. And yep. that's where I think down the stretch of the season, I think Lamar should be in this conversation and, and could be arguably a favorite to win it down the stretch. He's going to have to get some more passing touchdowns or rushing touchdowns to get those numbers. I do think Lamar deserves uh, recognition, but the second name was actually Jalen Hurts. That was the oh, other name that, yeah. that came to mind. It was Tua and it was Jalen Hurts. He's eight and one as a starter. He's completing almost 69% of his passes, 2,300 uh, passing yards, 15 touchdowns to eight interceptions and seven rushing touchdowns to go along with it. So obviously Jalen having a great year was number two in MVP last season. So definitely seems like a guy people would want to give the award and his team has the best record uh, in the NFL right now. So, I mean, that that doesn't uh, hurt your chances either. But I do think Tua, because of the numbers that he's put up, uh, deserves to be the the pick right now. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, this guy has just been, it, it, you know, video game numbers at this point. I mean, this guy's having a absolute career year. Um, and look at me. I, I'm, I'm gonna, shocked you picked him. I thought I, you would pick Hurts. I, I thought you would just go not go Tua. <laughs> I like a left-handed quarterback here wow. for MVP. How about that? I mean, his name's not Steve Young, so how about yeah. that? I like that. Um, wow, look at this. Tua Tungavailoa, Michael Penix Jr., just changing Mitch day by day here on the <sighs> podcast, just converting him to the lefty QBs. It's incredible. You know what, Dallin? There's a lot in my life I need to change, and one of them was uh, – being less harsh on left-handed quarterbacks. So um, I am becoming a reformed man. That's for sure. Um, do we want to go with the rookies or do we want to go let's with go the offensive veterans player of the year? Okay. Yeah. So let's go with the offensive player of the year here. And look, I'm going to stick in that dolphins offense. Yeah. I'm... I think that the easy pick would be Tua. I think that Tua would be the easy pick, but I'm not going to go to Tua. I'm going to go with his battery mate here. I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill. I mean, mm. this guy is on a legendary pace right now Yeah, of being the first 2,000-yard receiver. Um, trying to get his numbers back up here for us. Um, but the the pace that this guy is on is absolutely staggering. Right now at, 10, at um, 1,076 yards, first in the league, 
Second in receptions at 69. Stephon Diggs actually holds that title at 70, which mm-hmm. makes complete sense with uh, the struggles that the Vikings offense has seen this time. First in receiving touchdowns with eight. Um, Boast in receiving yards. He's averaging 119.6 receiving yards a game right now, Dallin. Yeah. I mean, uh, unworldly numbers, ungodly numbers from Tyreek Hill. And a guy that's been in the league this long seems to be usually a guy his age would be on the backside of his prime. He seems to be just reaching the peak here of his prime. Tyreek has is, is got a very, very strong case for Offensive Player of the Year. And I think that, you know, at the end of the year, he if he continues his pace, he should be that, if not, maybe MVP because he is that that. He is that good. Yeah, if he can hit that 2,000-yard mark uh, and, you know, get to, you know, he's got to get at least 15 touchdowns. He's at eight receiving touchdowns right now. If he can get to 15, yeah, I think he'll definitely be an MVP conversation. I went with Tyreek Hill as well, uh, though I do think, you know, it's really interesting uh, how similar seasons right now Tyreek and A.J. Brown are having. Oh, very it's incredible. Close. Yes. So yeah. you, you mentioned Tyreek Hills. I'll, I'll read these one more time. 69 receptions, 1,076 yards, and eight touchdowns, averaging 15.6 yards per catch. AJ Brown, 67 receptions, 1,005 yards, six touchdowns, averaging 15 yards per catch. Two less receptions, like 71 less yards, and a couple less touchdowns. That's the difference between these guys right now. I mean, if we had two. Uh, 2000 yard receivers in a season. I mean, holy smokes. Uh, they are on incredible, uh, an incredible pace right now. I do think Tyreek's the favorite. I would mention AJ Brown in there as maybe a a close second. Mm -hmm. The other names that I wrote down, the one that I think is in the most contention, that would be Christian McCaffrey right now, leading all rushers, 652 rushing yards, uh, nine rushing touchdowns, also adding 292 yards and four touchdowns through the air. As a catcher, uh, I would also mention Raheem Mostert at this moment with 600 oh, yeah. yards, averaging 5.6 yards per attempt and 11 rushing touchdowns, uh, which I believe leads uh, the NFL right now. So uh, Mostert obviously having an incredible season. He had some really big games and that that has helped his case. But uh, if he was able to keep up that pace, I think he would have a shot there. Those were just those are the four names I wrote down. I didn't really consider anybody else in this award. And I think Tyreek Hill is is the for sure favorite. I think an important f- note to make about Raheem Mostert doing this at age 31. Yeah. When running back should be on this steep decline by age 31 and he's doing this now. I mean, this is, this is impressive, impressive stuff from Raheem Mostert. Um, yeah. Very gracious that I have him on one of my fantasy teams. Very gracious. That's yeah, yes. that's, that's a lucky like bench one stash my- that you had. It was just like, Oh, he turns out to be incredible. One of my favorite flex plays that I get to plug in every week is, is Raheem Bosa. He's a he is a no doubt play every single week, and I love oh, it. Oh yeah, um, love that little boom bust, but I like it. Yeah, um, Dallin, defensive rookie or de- sorry, defensive player of the year. Um, I'm a little curious because defensive player of the year to me seems more like a stat. I mean, everything is stat driven, you know, it's a stat driven award, but defensive player more so in that it's either sacks or interceptions. There's not a whole lot of well-rounded defensive players that maybe were the best defensive players throughout the course of the year. So I'm curious to what, uh, what direction you went um, when we're talking about defensive player of the year. Yeah, I don't 
think that there's any defensive backs that really stand out at this point that deserve strong contention at this halfway mark. Uh, I think it's mainly along the defensive line, edge rushers, pass rushers is what we see, big sack numbers. And I went with Miles Garrett as my pick, the edge uh, from the Cleveland Browns. Nine and a half sacks this year. It's tied for second in the league. 18 QB hits is second in the NFL as well. He's got four forced fumbles. A pass deflected, a fumble re- uh, recovered. Uh, my And he's leading one of the best defenses in the league and one of the biggest surprises, I think, in the league so far this year is uh, how good this uh, this Cleveland Browns defense has been. It's been uh, stalwart. It's, it's really been impressive, and he has been leading that. So I think for those reasons, uh, I will go with Miles Garrett. I love that pick. I think that's a great pick. I went with, um, actually I had two names written down as my finalists uh, for this, and I'm going to go with the other um, defensive, you know, front four guy that I think is fitting for this award. I'm going to go with Daniil Hunter, Uh, Daniil Hunter, 10 sacks. Um, I'm going to mention a lot of the same stats. You just did 10 sacks, you know, three forced fumbles um, has been a stalwart on that Minnesota defense. And it, and for a team that seems to be very up and down, he seems to be the one consistent piece that they can always rely on. Daniel Hunter seems to be um, from, in my mind, um, the best defensive player in the league thus far, so far, um, thus far throughout this year. Uh, Miles Garrett certainly um, is up there in that conversation with me as well. I did write down another name though, and this is a, this is a numbers driven um, pick here, but Geno Stone. Um, from Baltimore, leading the league right now in interceptions with six, two yeah. more than anyone else. So uh, that Baltimore defense kind of given shades to, uh, you know, shades of the 2000s Raven defense a little bit of how dominant they've been. So I uh, do want to give a little bit of a shout out there. But I did go with Daniel Hunter as as my defensive player of the year. So yeah, cool. and he leads the league in sacks, so it makes sense at 10. Uh, you know, half a sack above guys like Miles Garrett and Max Crosby. And the other name that I wrote down, which was TJ Watt. And I yeah. do think TJ Watt actually may have uh, may have the strongest case. He's a guy who's won it before. He has nine and a half sacks, three fumble recovered, two forced fumbles, six pass deflected, and an interception. Uh, that interception just kind of gives him that little, you know, a little oomph over there. I also look at QB hits. I think QB hits is a good stat because that proves how many Are they times getting you're there? getting there, right? Yeah. And that's the one thing with Daniil Hunter I found really interesting. Uh, and he was a name that I included, obviously, when you lead the league in sacks right now, you, you need to be mentioned. Uh, Ten sacks and only nine QB hits. Right. So That's half as many QB hits as Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, who both have 18. You know, my, Max Crosby's at 13. Josh Allen, who has nine sacks, is at 16. So just to kind of give you the comparison there on the guys that follow after him. So yeah, he's obviously getting sacks. He's getting to the quarterback. He's making it happen, but he's just being incredibly efficient when he gets there. Right. When he gets to the quarterback, he's going to take him down. <laughs> right. Uh, right. That's kind of what those numbers prove to me, which obviously is not a bad thing. It uh, proves how effective he's been. So I like those picks. It's, yeah. it's a close race, though. I mean, there's there's like five guys right there that w- that have or six guys that have nine sacks or more uh, this season, you know, right there all in a group, uh, you know, separated by one sack. So uh, this is anyone's award. You know, Micah Parsons, another name to keep an eye on. I think he's a little farther down there. But 
a versatile player. He'll rack up some other stats too. So, you know, yeah, maybe a sleeper yeah. if he turns it on, you know, guys like Khalil Mack or Josh Allen, right. Um, that could turn it on there at the sec at the back half of the year. So, um, yeah, love that. Love that pick down. Let's get into the rookies, huh? Yeah. Let's do a little rookie talk and ro- offensive rookie of the year down. I, sh- I'm, I really struggled between these two and because I, there, there are two clear favorites in this yes. for me right now. Yeah, it's just who do I, I guess who do I like more? Mm. And I think you might pick the other guy. So I think we should <laughs> highlight both. <laughs> no. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go with C.J. Stroud. Okay. I'm gonna go. With okay. CJ Stroud. That's fine. That's fine. Because yeah. you know what, Mitch, the brain tells you to pick C.J. Stroud. Right. The heart the says the heart says Puka Nakua. The heart screams for Puka, but the <laughs> brain does. tells you to pick CJ Stroud because he has 14 touchdown passes to one interception. He's oh, setting so rookie good. passing records. I mean, he's got the Texans at four and four. Uh, I mean, yeah, CJ Stroud is absolutely yeah. killing it this season. And yeah, should he be the offensive rookie of the year? Will he be the offensive rookie of the year? Okay, yeah, that's fine. But we could love Puka, right? We, we love Puka. We gotta love I mean, Puka. And we're talking about a guy, Mitch, who is third in the NFL. Or what is I gotta pull it up right now. I had it up. I think he's third in receiving yards this fourth season. Fourth in receiving yards. Fourth in receiving yards at 827. He's got 64 receptions. That's also good for tied for fourth. He also has almost 300 yards more than any other rookie wide receiver this year. Yeah. Second, second is Jordan Addison at 534. He has 827. 827. Yeah. Now, he's the touchdown a, numbers aren't there, but he's a target right. monster. He's a reception. I think he's like fourth. He's like fifth or sixth in receptions this year. I mean, he's yeah. he's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. But it is C.J. Stroud. It is yeah. C.J. Stroud, who's the offensive rookie of the year right now at the half point of the year. Yeah, it is. I am going to get I am going to pick Puka for the award. I'll give it to him because the first half has been incredible. Now, down the stretch, we know what will happen. It'll be CJ Stroud. I mean, and Puka has not been able to keep up the pace that he did those first few games when Cooper Cup was out. And we all sort of saw that coming. But he has clearly established himself as a go to piece on this offense. One of the best players on this Rams offense, period. Mm -hmm. And when the only two guys in the league that are getting more targets than you are Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill, think you're doing something right uh, as a fifth round draft pick. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, I will pick Puka for this fully knowing that, uh, you know, he won't win the award, but uh, he wins it in my heart. He, sh- he, yeah, he should though. He should. I mean, uh, this is, I mean, it's going to be a, it's not a shame. It's not a shame, but it's going to feel so icky to have a guy that was so good and yeah. so unexpected, not win the award because the guy that should have been a front runner at the beginning of his rookie year anyway, does win the award. It just feels icky. I don't yeah. know. But yeah. And that's the bummer about it. Right. Is it's like, you know, you, you, you add in the element of this guy was a fifth round draft pick, uh, who was fighting to like win a starting spot, maybe, you know, yeah. like that, you know a roster being, spot. I mean, to being one of the best wide receivers in the league this season, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah. We expected CJ Stroud to look something good this year, but yeah, didn't expect much from Puka unless you were, unless you were in the know. And then, you know, maybe yeah. you were, maybe you were expecting stuff from Puka. I felt like a genius when I drafted him in fantasy and like the fourth. Saw it. So. I mean, not this. I'm not going to say I saw this, but no, he was going to write my taxi squad, but damn it. 
He's a, he's a weekly starter now. I love has it. To be. I love it. Has to be. I love it. Uh, Dallin, defensive rookie of the year. I think this was probably the toughest one to pick because there's 100%. no there's no real standout. Mm-mm. There's no real standout, and we kind of almost knew that a little bit. Um, I think coming into this season, like there was a lot of good defensive players in this draft, but knowing that this draft was a little bit weaker than past years, like it was going to be hard to find a standout defensive rookie. And it, it, it's showing now. Um, there were two names that came to mind for me. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to there's. Yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the defense back here. I'm going to go with Devon Witherspoon. Okay. Um, from Seattle. Uh, he's just been so I know he hasn't played the entire season. I think he's missed two games. Um, but he has played the most solid, I think, um, out of any of the rookies, most, the most consistently solid out of any of the rookies. He's been an integral part of that Seattle defense. Um, also being a defensive back and picking up two sacks as well as the interception, he's been locked down. Um, the guy is, the guy's just been really all around really good. And I'm, I'm curious to see if you're going to name the other guy that I had written down because, the other guy that I have written down is the leader of rookie of all rookies in sacks this year. Um, but Devon Witherspoon for me uh, has been the most uh, impressive rookie, I guess, or the most impactful rookie um, throughout the first half of the year. Yeah. And you know, I think uh, it's, it's, it's hard with corners to really value the impact with just stats right and i think that's kind of part of the problems that we see right is Mm -hmm. unless you have six interceptions are you not a good corner well no maybe you don't get targeted in your sauce gardener right or maybe like you know you you need to look at other numbers right how often are they what kind of yards are they getting up when they're targeted right what are what are the numbers while targeted uh and that's going to give you a better indication because yes statistically you know, you don't look at Devon Witherspoon and say, oh, yeah, defensive rookie of the year. But you see the impact when he plays and you look at the advanced stats, you look at, you know, numbers when he's targeted. He's, you know, people are throwing under 40 percent passing when they're throwing at him. Uh, he right. is playing incredible when he's being targeted and he's probably not being targeted that often because he's good. So uh, I like that pick. He was a name I wrote down. Uh, I will go with the favorite, probably the heavy favorite, I'd say, based on. Uh, what I've seen other people make on these picks, uh, and that's Jalen Carter. Oh, okay. Eagles, Eagles defensive tackle uh, right now sits at four sacks uh, on the season, two forced fumbles. Again, like you said, it, there, there's not a rookie that's like racked up six or seven sacks at this point of the season. There's not a rookie that's racked up four interceptions at this point of the season. It's still pretty wide open, uh, but you see the impact that Jalen Carter has on the football field for the Eagles, the burst that he has, the energy that he brings to what is already a great defensive line. And it feels like Carter's only going to become more impactful down the stretch of the season. So I think his numbers will only improve uh, from here on out. So I'm going to go with Jalen Carter. All right. I I mean, I love it. That wasn't the name that I had written down. Um, I actually had Byron Young from the Rams written down. Oh, yeah. Um, The young man out of Tennessee. Um, with his five sacks leading all rookies, um, I, you know, I, I think that his impact, the Rams team, obviously the Rams are very hit or miss, very streaky. You know, you never know what LA Rams team you're going to get week to week. Um, but he seems to be a pretty consistent, 
uh, part of that defense. But I, I do love the Jalen Carter pick because he seems like he's, he's the best defensive rookie on the best team. Right. Throughout the course of the year so far. So I, I think that does make him kind of a front runner in this one. So um, I do love Jalen Carter for that pick. I love, absolutely love it. Coach um, of the year. Coach of the year. Our last of the real awards, I guess you could say, because then we have, you know, our own awards. That Sporties we've are real here. awards, Dallin. They're real awards. These are we all real awards. more after this. Uh, but the coach of the year, uh, I will go first here. I'm going with the most handsome coach in the NFL. Oh, wow. D'Amico Ryans. Uh, That's yeah. who I'm picking for coach of the year because we just didn't expect – Houston to look this competent this early, frankly, right? I I mean, I I thought they'd go seven and ten. That was my preseason prediction. I thought they would be an up and coming team. I mean, but they're four and four, and frankly, I don't think they're out of this AFC South race by any means. I really don't. No. With the way that this offense is rolling right now, and all the talent on this team, albeit young, I mean, they're proving to be a really competitive team, and that. Uh, a lot of that credit has to go to D'Amico Ryans, uh, Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, and that whole new coaching staff who's come in and revitalized this franchise and got this team playing at a very high level. So four and four on the season uh, expected to be and was one of the worst teams last year. So I think that deserves a lot of credit. So I gave it to D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, you mentioned they're, they're not out of this race in the AFC South. They're very much in it. I mean, they're second place right now, only two games back of the Jaguars and the Jaguars have had weeks where they uh, we go, wow, that doesn't look like the team we expected them to be. And so, you know, maybe the Texans put themselves in a position to, I'm not going to say contend for the division championship because that would be absurd, I think, to point out right now with knowing what we know about them. But they could be that game back of the Jags and maybe flirt with that wild card spot with the, with the trajectory that they're on. They're right around league average of points allowed. Um, they're right around league average of points scored. So a team that I think that most people, and I know I was very low on them had at like the very bottom of the league seems to be a very competent and competitive team. And D'Amico Ryan's um, not only the most handsome man in the NFL, but um, one of the most competent coaches that we have in the NFL seems to have them on the right track. So I love that. I love that pick for D'Amico Ryans. Um, Dallin, I am going to go with probably one of the more lovable guys in the NFL and a team that we were just a year too early on last year. I think that they've definitely hit their stride. And I think that these guys will be NFC North champions come to the end of the year. I'm going Dan Campbell. Yeah. Dan Campbell is just, he has got this team rolling and he guys, he, he has got this approach. that's almost, um, you know, very college football esque, but guys are buying into the raw type of type of, you know, type of motivation that he puts forth in the locker room. Dan Campbell has the lions rolling. He does the most with the, he does the most with as little as he has. Like he makes the most, he gets the most out of his team. I think more than any other coach in the NFL. Dan Campbell's the man. I think that he's my front runner for the coach of the year. Yeah, I love that pick. I think he probably should be the favorite. I guess at this point, considering where Detroit is at in the standings and uh, the turnaround uh, that he's been able to do there in Detroit. So I love that pick. The 
I don't know. I, I want to ask you if there's another name or two that, that you thought of or considered here. Uh, the one sort of sneaky name that I thought, maybe not right now, but with what they've doing, if, if they could keep it up and, and sneak into the playoffs, Robert Sala and the Jets. Mm, yeah. I mean, you consider Aaron Rodgers going down in the first 75 seconds of the season. If, you know, and, and with where they're at right now, you know, not out of it, like just not, uh, you know, they're four and four They're uh, you know, just like a game back of a playoff spot right now, obviously things don't look pretty, but they're finding ways to win and stay in this thing. So if they were to somehow make the playoffs as a seven seed at nine and eight or 10 and whatever it is, I, I, you know, I'm just like, that would be, there'd be a really strong case that Robert Sala could be coach of the year. So that was another name that just kind of stuck in my mind. What about you? Yeah, I I think Robert Sala is a great pick. Mike McDaniel is another one that sits out, you know, stands out oh, yeah. for me. Um, if the Dolphins can prove that they are contenders and not pretenders, and start winning the tougher games that they should be winning, I mean, they haven't beat a team above five hundred all year long. But if they start winning those games against winning teams that they should be, and they get themselves in an AFC title or AFC East championship position and start you know they win that division and they get themselves in the high seat i think mike mcdaniel could be a conversation a conversation piece for that coach of the year for sure yeah i like it all right biggest surprise so we'll, we, we came up with a few of our own awards to wrap this thing up we'll start with the biggest surprise of the first half of the season mitch what do you say i think my biggest surprise is how competitive the afc north is that's my mm. biggest surprise. I thought that there were two teams at the top. It was Ravens Bengals. Right now, the Bengals, they're sitting last place in the division. Get this at five and three. Tied with third and second place also. I mean, th this this whole division from top. To now, I know that the Steelers have lucked their way into some wins. Um, the Browns are, I think, overperforming what we, what we would expect from them. The defense has been insane. Uh, throughout the first half of the year. Um, but the AFC North is proving to be very competitive, even probably the worst team in this division, which is the Steelers, somehow sitting at second place in the division. They're still the worst team in the division, still competitive. They're still competitive. I love how competitive the AFC North is. And I think that, for me, was the biggest surprise because I thought there was clearly a two-horse race here in this division. Yeah, I like that. Um, especially, I mean... I, I just, I need to stop counting out Pittsburgh first off every year. I'm like, this is the year it falls. You know, this is the year they finally go under 500. Never going to happen. As long as Mike Tomlin's there, I just need to, I'm going to learn that lesson this year. No more. <laughs> They're going to go nine and eight next year, a bare minimum to get over 500, but I'll have them there. Uh, and, and yeah, and the Browns have been a surprise, especially with how good that defense is. And this is all, uh, you know, five and four, despite Deshaun Watson, not being healthy. I mean, he's played, he started five games. PJ Walker's come in and they haven't been great in those games, but with Deshaun, they're four and one. So right. when Deshaun's playing, this team is winning. If they can keep him healthy and the defense keeps playing at a high level. Yeah. I mean, this has been a very competitive division. I love that. Uh, I also love that. I, we chose very similar things here uh, because my biggest surprise this year is not the competitive AFC North Mitch, it's the competitive AFC South. Speaking oh, of yeah. Danico Ryan's and the Houston Texans, um, I, you know, I think before the season, it was really easy to say, you know what? Yeah, this is Jacksonville. And then, 
a bunch of everybody else trying to figure some stuff out, right? Two rookie quarterbacks. You had the Titans with Will Levis, Malik Willis. And it was like, you know, eventually they'll reset and we might have some really bad teams in this division. But right now, Jacksonville sits atop at six and two. Uh, Houston at four and four, two games back. The Colts at four and five. And Tennessee at three and five. And Tennessee at the bottom, but seemingly found something with Will Levis, seemed to have found some energy at least to remain competitive down the stretch of the season. Even without Anthony Richardson, Mitch, the Indianapolis Colts have a top 10 offense this season. They are seventh in scoring offense this season, averaging 25.8 points per game. I mean, I didn't see that coming. A lot of credit needs to go to Shane Steichen and the job that he's done there as the as the new head head uh, head coach. But they've been a surprise how competitive uh, the Colts have been offensively, especially with Gardner Minshew coming in. And then we already talked about Houston and the job uh, that D'Amico Ryan's is doing over there. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I you know, Jacksonville can't coast down the second half at all. And I would have thought before the season, you know, they could go nine and eight and they'll probably still win it. I don't think that's true at this point of the season. Uh, I think these teams are going to be competitive. They may even get better down the stretch. And that's going to be a challenge for Jacksonville to stay on top here. I do think Jacksonville should be the heavy favorite, but I love how competitive and surprisingly competitive this division is, has been this season. Very surprisingly competitive. Um, I, you know, the Colts, you know, speaking of the Colts, shout out Gardner Minshew and shout out Zach Moss, who has filled oh, in yeah. for the absence of Jonathan Taylor and has become a, a perennial workhorse guy for them when Jonathan Taylor is out of the lineup and Gardner Minshew filling in for the injured, the injured uh, Anthony Richardson. Uh, fantastic job. You and I both big Gardner Minshew fans. We love to see when he's on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I still see this as a two horse race. I don't know. I, I feel like the Colts have this feeling of they could plateau, um, but the Texans coming out of nowhere, man, they're really going to challenge. I think if Jacksonville takes a misstep or two, Texans, they have they're going to have a serious opportunity to capitalize on that and put themselves in a position to compete for that divisional title. So, um, I love how I love that pick as well as you know how competitive the AFC South is. Love it. Yeah, biggest disappointment so far this NFL season, Mitch. I mean, for me, it's the Bears. It's the Bears. Mm. I, I I have to go with the Bears. Um. This just felt like the year we could at least show progress. And it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Like there, There's plenty of other teams I think that we could say are more disappointing than the Bears, but probably not many. I mean, like this, this felt like the team that we could, we could turn on on a Sunday. They may not win a ton of games, but they might be kind of fun. And part of this falls on Justin Fields. Um, you know, part of this falls on the offensive scheming that they had there. Luke Getzey had a tough time getting that offense rolling. Um, I think that there were some serious internal issues within the Chicago front office that they needed to figure out within the coaching staff. Um, it just seems like as a, as a whole, a team that we should have been excited about seeing take that leap forward. Pretty disappointing that we haven't really seen that leap at all throughout the first half of the year. So I'm regrettably going with my Chicago bears. Yeah, certainly not ideal for Chicago. Not the season you wanted to see as a bears fan. The good news is that the Carolina Panthers suck 
and so do you. And so two top three draft picks, two top five draft picks likely in your future. And if you need to reset this franchise in a big way with some important players, you're going to be in a great position to do that. So I guess that would be the silver lining in this. Although, like you said, we expected a leap, a step forward for Chicago. And if anything feels like they've just remained uh, stagnant, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, My biggest disappointment this year, Mitch, and, you know, I put this team as my biggest disappointment at our quarter mark superlatives. I'm going to be a little more specific on this. I, again, my biggest disappointment is the Cincinnati Bengals, but specifically I'm going to talk about Cincinnati's offense, right? We expect Joe Burrow and this offense to be good. The defense has been a surprise since that Super Bowl run. And even last year, the defense was fifth in scoring defense in 2022. And in this year, 12th in scoring defense, uh, averaging, uh, they're giving up 0.2 more points per game on defense. So the defense is doing exactly what we expect of it, doing what they did last year. The defense has been the reason Cincinnati's been competitive. The problem, Mitch, is the Cincinnati offense, which has gone from a top 10 offense to something unrecognizable. They were seventh in scoring last year, averaging 26.1 points per game. They are 23rd in scoring offense this season, averaging 19.4 points per game. They're scoring a full touchdown less this year than they were last year. And yes, injuries have played a very big portion of this. Joe Burrow had the training camp injury. He was clearly hobbled to start the season. They were clearly, you know, slow to get going. And that was understandable. You've had Jamar Chase get banged up. You've had T Higgins get banged up. I get all that. But that's a huge disappointment to drop off a full touchdown on your scoring. And it puts them in a position where now they're five and four. They're competing in this uh, or five and three. They're competing in these standings. But they're a full game and a half back right now of Baltimore. And this is a very competitive AFC where nothing is guaranteed. Buffalo is not slated to make the playoffs right now. The Buffalo Bills because they're five and four. That's how competitive this conference is. So. I feel like Cincinnati's playing with fire. They've got to figure things out, and they've got to figure it out quick heading into the second half of the season. And this offense needs to get going. Again, the defense is on pace. It's doing what it's doing. This offense is clearly lacking. Uh, and uh, that's definitely been one of the biggest disappointments for me this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I get you. I get you. I mean, there's just so much expectations for that team, and for them to fall short like this, it's just I, – I get it. I get why – they're uh, definitely one of the biggest dis- disappointments for you. Um, Dallin, the best storyline. Best storyline throughout the first half of the year. I'm going to let you go first here. I want to know what your uh, what your favorite is here. Okay. Um, best storyline this season to me, at least certainly one of the most interesting ones. Uh, ten rookie quarterbacks have started a game this season or will start a game this season. Uh, I think on Sunday when Tommy DeVito starts for the New York Giants, that is an NFL record uh, since we've been uh, tracking stats all the way back to 1950. The previous record was nine in a season in 2019, and we're halfway there, Mitch. We're only halfway there, and we've already seen 10 rookie quarterbacks, and we knew this was a talented rookie Uh, quarterback class, right? I mean, we saw three guys in the top four. We knew that there was going to be a lot of talent at the top, but I think maybe what was underrated by a lot of NFL fans, 
certainly something that you saw coming if you were watching college football was how deep this quarterback class was. I mean, we just look at the sheer number of guys that were taken from the third to the sixth round in this draft. I mean, it was a incredible number of players and almost all of them have seen some sort of playing time, albeit uh, due to injuries or, or just, you know, benchings, but we've seen a lot of rookies and it hasn't all looked great, but I love seeing that much young talent in the league, especially young talent getting playing time early, mid-round, late-round quarterbacks that are getting a shot to get some tape, prove what they've got early on uh, while the starter is injured. And uh, it's worked for some teams. Hasn't worked for others, obviously, but uh, one of those fascinating things this this season. Yeah, I, I feel like we're right now in the NFL in a, in a transitional period. We just had, you know, the Phillip Rivers the Eli Manning's we had all of these retirements over the last five or six years of kind of this generation of quarterbacks that we've seen. And now we're kind of ushering in the new ones. And this seems like kind of that wave that's going to come behind the Josh Allen's and Lamar Jackson's and Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, that era, this feels like the next kind of wave that's going to follow that fall right in behind them. And so to see so many uh, young quarterbacks get an opportunity, um, to showcase their talent at the highest level um, is absolutely fantastic. And like you said, a record that there will be at least 10 um, rookie quarterbacks starting this season. Um, incredible, incredible stat line. Love that storyline uh, for the NFL season so far. Dallin, mine is a recent one. In fact, recent as of like the last week, but I think it's poignant and I think it should be pointed out the Raiders instant turnaround after the McDaniels firing. And I think this is my favorite one purely based off the fact is we could see the impact that a bad head coach has on an organization. I think that there are people that still held out like Josh McDaniel truthers that still held out that like he can get this organization to around. He could still be a good head coach. It's very clear that he can't. But for him to get fired, for the GM Dave Ziegler to get fired in the same day, a lot of other coaching stuff, Antonio Pierce, the linebackers coach, to step up as the interim, and Devontae Adams, once the best wide receiver in the NFL, step up and say just a day after his head coach was fired, said, I'm ready to run through a brick wall for this through this guy, or run through a brick wall for this guy, and have them go out and dominate the way they did on Sunday against the New York Giants. I think this is a serious turning point for the Las Vegas Raiders. Maybe not a playoff bound team, but I think that this is, this should be the best, one of the better storylines of the season, because it seems like that the Raiders owner, Mark Davis now has his eyes set on what path this team should be going down. Quit going for the flashy hire, quit going for the flashy signing and build a solid, good, a good solid football team. And I think that this is one of the more poignant things that we've seen throughout the year. So I'm going with the Raiders instant turnaround just a few days after firing uh, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, the vibes are high in Vegas. And uh, it is amazing to see the stark contrast in the energy, the vibe, the uh, the demeanor of the players and the people within that organization after that firing. Um We'll see how good it helps them down the stretch. Certainly going to be better than whatever they were doing, right? Oh, I mean, sure. records-wise, they were three and five. You know, they weren't horrible, but this team did not look good at any point. So uh, we'll see how they improve it. 
I am holding out. Uh, I, I do not have any belief that Mark Davis is going to learn anything from this because Rich Bisaccia <laughs> did a hell of a job sure. uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of his tenure as an interim head coach. And what did they do in the offseason? They went and hired a flashy new head coach instead of just sticking with the guy that had actually won some freaking games. So if they hire Antonio Pierce to be the guy moving, you know, if they, if if he if he actually does that then yeah, he learned his lesson. We'll see if Mark Davis will learn his lesson on that, but certainly good news for the Raiders, for Raiders fans, and for the rest of the season for Vegas. Who knows? I mean, they're four and five. And again, we talked about it. The AFC is competitive, but it's it's not out of the question if they can yeah. turn things around. They've got talent on that roster. So uh, yeah, that's a fun one. Antonio Pierce, I think also the only head coach with earrings as well. So no. Oh. Yeah, um, there you go. I did see one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, he had uh, practice squad players on the sideline this week. That's not NFL protocol. Practice squad players aren't on the sideline during games right. in the NFL. But he brought them on, and he had, he had a great answer as to why he did that about being part of the team. And I like just that, just little things like that make a huge difference. When you see a guy like that, you're like, he's looking out for one through. 70 on this team right not just the 53 man roster not just the starters or the stars he's looking out for every single player on this team and that has to have an impact across the locker room so little things like that make a big difference and he's certainly been impressive in his interim role oh yeah absolutely impressive and he's only one week in i mean this, yeah, I'm, exactly i'm gonna i'm gonna be really excited to see what the impact is uh for the weeks moving forward Dallin, it's time to stake our flag, though, as we get to the last midseason award. It's time to stake our flag, Dallin. Be bold. Be spicy. Be hot with this take. It is our second half bold prediction. And would you like to kick it off with this? Sure. All right, let's hear it. All right. Um, My bold prediction for the second half... uh, Right now, if you look at the standings, we've talked a lot about the AFC, how competitive it is, how tight that uh, the playoff race is going to be in this uh, in this conference. If you look at the standings right now, you look at the AFC East, AFC East, a lot of talented teams, uh, New England aside, uh, a lot of talented teams in there. Uh, only one playoff team right now projected in the AFC East. That's the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I believe that stands at the end of the season. My bold prediction is that only one AFC East team will make the playoffs this season. Maybe it's Miami. Maybe it's Buffalo. But only one of them is going to make the playoffs because the AFC North is going to steal a couple bids. Somebody else will steal a bid and someone's getting left out and it's an AFC East team. So I'm saying one, only one AFC East team is going to make the playoffs this season. I do think that's bold. I like that. I like that a lot. And there's a lot of rhyme and reason to it as well. I think that you brought that with um, a lot of logic and sub, you know, substance to back it up. I mean, look at, I mean, look, Buffalo has struggled. Buffalo has struggled playing good teams and we know they're a good team. They just don't play good teams very well. And so like yeah. they, they put themselves in this five and four position that they are in right now. Um, and so I, I think that that's a that's a very possible thing to happen, and I and I like I like that bold take. I like that bold take. Dallin, I'm going um I'm going Carolina Reaper hot with this one, mm. um really hot, and I'm gonna stay in the AFC East. 
Um, so it's going to kind of contradict what I just praised you for and what you just talked about, but I'm going to say it anyway. The New York Jets will make the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers will start the wild card game. Hmm. I know it sounds. I know, I know that sounds wild. I know it sounds wild, but I think the Aaron Rodgers progression with how well he's rehabbed from this injury. You hear him talk about it on Pat McAfee and you know, he's been kind of vague, but you see the videos of him throwing. If they're in a situation where they could go and win a title now, I don't think it's in their best interest to start Aaron Rodgers, but I'm not going to put them past it. Pat, I'm not going to put it past them to start Aaron Rodgers. If he's feeling like he could go out and play in a wild card game. Um, it's probably the spiciest thing I've ever said on the show, but I'm going to say that the New York Jets make the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers will start the AFC wildcard game for him. There you go. New York Jets fans, it's all going to work out, baby. Don't you even sweat. Uh, Zach Wilson's got you just enough to get there. And then uh, good old Papa Rodgers is coming in to save the day on uh, half a half a ACL or whatever. That's uh, I love it. I love it. I mean, you see these warm-up videos of him, and it's like, how the hell is he doing this? Like two months removed, from no walking boot, I mean, no walking boot, nothing. Is... He's bouncing around. I mean, I don't know if I believe it yet. To be honest with you, I know that everyone's kind of laying the groundwork for you know if they made it, he could. I, I know everyone's laying it for. I, I I kind of feel like it's all hype. That's Aaron Rodgers. He likes to talk it up. He likes to draw attention. He doesn't want to get out of the narrative. So he's going to nah. tease all year. Oh, maybe I could come back. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know. It's like, it's whatever. And he's going to keep us all interested. And then, you know, who knows? But uh, I love it. I love the bold prediction. Got to yeah. go big or go home. That's what we do. Absolutely. Go big or go home. Go big or go home down. Down. That is going to wrap up our mid season awards. Great stuff. But I yep. got a little bit of a top five here for you, Dallin. And of course, we, we talk about the back half of the season. And, you know, things can go incredibly well for a team to get them into that playoff push, get them in a playoffs, a playoff spot, playoff situation. But things can also go really, really bad. And that's why on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's top five list of the week. We're going to be doing the top five worst collapses in sports history. Oh, um, now I stuck to primarily season collapses. So not single game. Except for one. Okay. Except for one. And it's because I just can't not mention it. So I have to stay. I have to put it in there. Um, and it is kind of a a prolonged collapse. So it, it kind of falls into this, the, the criteria that I had, but kind of doesn't at the same time, but I wanted to include it because it is uh, quite historic. So anyway, Dallin, let's get in to the collapses and let's start with number five on the list. We're going to go with the 1995 California angels, AL West race. Hmm. Um, they won a game on August 20th, which gave of 1995, which gave them a 12 and a half game lead um, over the third place Seattle Mariners. By September 22nd, they went six and 24 throughout those remaining games 
including two nine-game losing streaks, and the Mariners had a two-game lead. Now, the Angels rounded out the year with a five-game win streak, and they wound up tying the Mariners, going to a final game, a one-game playoff with Seattle, which they ultimately lost to Seattle. Of course, we know that whole uh, 95 playoff run for the Seattle Mariners, the Ken Griffey Jr., um, Ronnie, you know, rounding third and coming and scoring home. The, the Macklemore song is, is incredible if you haven't heard it. Um, but the Angels collapse of going six and 24 over a month long span to blow a 12 and a half game league has to be on the list. Give me the 95 Angels, uh, number five. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's real bad. That's 20% winning percentage. I yeah. mean, that is <laughs> like yikes. Holy it's gnarly. Smokes. Yeah. It's gnarly. Uh, <laughs> Dallin, number four on the list. And, um, Look, we're both going to be represented on this, but uh, mm. number four on the list, I'm going with the 2018 Carolina Panthers. Mm. Um, six and two to start the 2018 campaign. They were just behind the Saints who started seven and one. Looked like the Saints were probably going to be the favorites to win the FC South, and the Carolina was going to be in that wild card. Um, but this was probably going to be two double-digit win teams getting into the playoffs. Very strong NFC South. That didn't happen, though. The Panthers absolutely imploded. They lost seven consecutive games, including five straight by a touchdown or less. Now they were playing with a can a banged up Cam Newton, but they tumbled all the way to seven and nine and missed the playoffs. And since 2000, only the 2007 Detroit Lions are the only team to start six and two and finish seven and nine, hmm. just like the Panthers did in 2018. Uh, give me the 2018 Carolina Panthers number four. Hoy. Um, Mitch, I've had some low moments as a fan <laughs> in my life of, uh, you know, of different teams as a Panthers fan, obviously Super Bowl 50 losing that one. That was, that was really tough. I remember exactly where I was when that season collapsed. I was in a Buffalo wild wings on a Thursday night, rocking my Cam Newton Jersey six and two heading into a great matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm the only Panthers fan in this Buffalo Wild Wings in Midvale, Utah. I'm very excited. I've convinced my wife to come along and watch this football game with me at B-Dubs. We're playing on Thursday night, babe. We never get televised games. We're playing well. This will be a great time. It'll be a great time, right? It was an awful time, Mitch. Cam Newton got demolished in that game. He got injured, and he was literally never the same. That was the game that stopped Cam's career. Ever since that game, you can point to that uh, week not, week 10 game on November 8th against the Steelers. That was the moment Cam Newton stopped being the player that we knew and never recovered from the injuries that he sustained in that game. The Panthers completely collapsed after that. I walked out of that B-dubs in the third quarter with shame on my face. I was, I just felt like everyone was looking at me. I think people felt bad for me having to sit there, go to this restaurant and watch my team get embarrassed on national television. It is probably one of, if not the lowest moment as a Panthers fan. And I will always remember where I was when that happened. So thank you for making me relive that. I appreciate I, it. I did not mean to strike an emotional <laughs> chord with you. Wow. <laughs> Could, did you get, there's a you lot just of brought up the there. exact moment. I mean, that I mean, was incredible. It I really was. Even... I can vivid. I remember. I can, I can imagine sitting there in that Buffalo Wild Wings just 
just oh. hating my life, wondering what was happening. Uh, yeah. I didn't. Th- I didn't think I was gonna bring up. A, <laughs> you didn't know up- that was gonna happen, but uh, the minute you said what you said, I knew exactly where you were going, and I was like, "God damn it, he's so right." It was awful. <laughs> it, was, it was yeah. Awful. It's pretty so, terrible. There you go. Well, sorry I had to put you through that a second time. I There's didn't my mean to anecdote do that. for the day. There, there you, you go. There you go. <laughs> um. So yeah, moving on to number three. So Dallin can quit suffering. <laughs> right. We're gonna move to number three. Um, the 2011 Boston Red Sox, um, nine game lead in the wild card race, and then absolutely went tumbling out of playoff contention after that. Um, going seven and twenty in September. Mm. Now you're the Red Sox. You're one of the premier organizations in all of professional sports. I mean, really, when you think about it, all of professional sports, the Red Sox, top of the list. Heads are going to roll, and um. This was also kind of to compound the fall of this. This was during the whole chicken and beer scandal that happened in the locker room with John Lackey, John Lester, and Josh Beckett. Um, you know, they're leaving games early to go drink beer and eat fried chicken and watch the rest of the game in the in the clubhouse. Um, to compound compound all of that, um, it was just it was just a complete organizational collapse. Uh, by the Boston Red Sox, um, not just an on-the-field product, but almost also internally, uh, the the Red Sox completely fell apart. So um, I'm going with the 2011 Red Sox, um, just purely based off not the on-field product, but kind of what imploded, how they imploded um, throughout the month of September that year. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, then you had uh, the general manager, Theo Epstein, resigns after that after that season, after that collapse. And Terry uh, Francona left. Yeah. And, and, you know, they won 90 games that year. You know, obviously they collapsed late. But, yeah, the impact of all of that behind the scenes and what it meant moving forward. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, just a, a complete organizational collapse, not just an on the field product um, for the Boston Red Sox. Number two on the list, Alan. Um, and this is this is where I get represented here. The 2012 uh, Chicago Bears, hmm. their collapse um, from 2000 to 20 from 2000 to 2019. 46 teams had started a season eight and zero or seven and one. Only one team missed the playoffs after starting eight and zero or seven and one, and that was the 2012 Chicago Bears. Um, they started seven and one a defense that had forced 28 turnovers throughout the first eight games. Hmm. I mean, just an absolute stalwart of a defense. Um, they dropped, they proceeded after starting eight and one dropping four of their next five. Uh, they go to eight and five. They manage two late victories at the end of the year, but they lose a wild card tiebreaker to the Vikings gets the Vikings into the playoffs. Um, the bears miss and it ultimately wound up with the firing of lovey Smith. Uh, one of my favorite second favorite bears coach of all time, lovey Smith. Um, and just, I mean, when you're held in that sort of regard, that sort of statistic of starting eight, no, or seven and one and being the only team of the last 20 years to ever miss the playoff after starting last starting like that. Um, you definitely have to be on this list of one of the greatest, uh, sports collapses of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, makes me feel better about my Panthers. So thank you. Yeah. I, it, well, there you <laughs> go. I mean, <laughs> anything I could do to help buddy. <laughs> um, but number one and down, this is the one where it wasn't a season long one, but it's such a 
epic collapse. I have to mention it. 1996 Masters, Greg Norman. Mm. Um, Six-shot lead going into the final round of Augusta. I mean, he is on cruise control here. Cruise control. He lost the lead by the 12th um, while shooting a 78 in that final round. Nick Faldo wound up shooting a 76 um, and ultimately finished five strokes behind Nick Faldo after going in with a six-stroke lead going Mm -hmm. in. So an 11-stroke swing in one round out of Greg Norman. Um, You hate to see it for a guy that was – I don't even think he ever won a major. I think this is one of the great – he's on the list of, like, greatest players to never win a major. Um, Absolutely had this thing locked up, but lost 11 shots, 11 strokes to Nick Faldo during the final round to lose the 96 masters, Greg Norman. I mean, just the dev, I mean, I'm looking at a picture of him right now, the devastating look of hands on the knees, hands on your knees, hands on your knees. Um, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, just a, just devastating, devastating collapse. Greg Norman at the 96 masters gets the number one sports collapse of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, uh, that is a brutal one. That is really brutal. He was a two-time major champion. I looked it up. Uh, oh, he, won okay. the, he won the Open Championship twice. Uh, okay. But obviously, when you're known for that collapse, you know it's like people forget you're a major champion because of how you uh, collapsed in the in the Masters that uh, in that tournament. That's yeah, that's rough. So I mean, and get this: this was Oof. the third. That was the third time he had finished second at the Masters. Wow. He finished top five at Augusta eight times, never won the Masters. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just devastating. De- and then to blow it like that, I mean, just, ugh. It, it makes you sick for the guy. It makes you sick for him. But he is the worst collapse in sports history by far, Greg Norman. There you go. Well, great top five, Mitch. How about you uh, run through the list one more time for the folks? Yeah, number five on the list in 1995, California Angels. The uh, number four, the 2018 Carolina Panthers. Number three, the 2011 Boston Red Sox. Number two, the 2012 Chicago Bears. And number one, Greg Norman at the 1996 Masters. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know you were thinking seasons specifically. Obviously, you made an exception for Greg Norman. You could obviously throw like the Atlanta Falcons 28 to three Super Bowl if you were going to yes. do a different sort of list. But I'm curious, what was there any honorable mentions or anything else you thought of uh, when you were coming up with this? Yeah, there was the 0102 Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they had some big names. I think they had uh, Sam Cassell and Michael mm-hmm. Red. Um, I'm, I'm spacing on. The three uh, three point shooter um, it was a Ray Allen. Ray Allen was on that team. Um, I think they started like they started off the year with like big thirty five and twenty four. Wound up winning, going like fifteen and thirty two to wind up the year or whatever the numbers was, and wound up missing the playoffs by a game. Yeah. Um, after sitting at like halfway point of the year, sitting in, like the three seed in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, big class for them. The 09 Broncos was another one. They started six and oh, wound up eight and eight, missing the playoffs. Um, there, uh, the 08 Bucks, John Gruden's uh, 08 Bucks, um, started nine and three, wound up missing the playoffs. Um, just some really, really bad performances here, but 
I, I was really more focused on um, the consequences of the collapse and how devastating they were at the end of it. And so I think that's what gave these instances the, the edge over those honorable mentions. Um, we could go over the, the the seasonal one there, the single game collapses. You know, we could talk about the Oilers blowing the lead to the Bills in that mm. 90, was that the 93 AFC, AFC divisional round? Um, plenty of other division, the, the 20, 28 to 3 game. You could talk about all those, and that's a separate list, I think, by itself for another day. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's so many heartbreakers, so many heartbreakers to go through. Yeah, that's a, um, Listen, that's a great list. I mean, not great to be on the list, but a great list to share with the folks. So shout out, Mitch. We love a top five list. No, thank you. Thank you, buddy. More to come. More to come. Well, Dallin, I think that's going to wrap up the first half of the show. Um, When we come back, we'll have a little Kraken update for you. We're going to get into this campus tour. And then we are going to get into our week 10 NFL quick picks. It's going to be loaded. You're not going to want to miss it. So stick around and we'll be right back. back to the second half of the sports hour with Mitch Moe and Dallin. Thank you for sticking around with us through the break. Um, Dallin, before we get into the campus tour, let's talk about our boys, our boys up there in the PNW, the Kraken, the Kraken. Um, we're okay. Things are okay. We're stable. 
We're not the ship isn't going down yet. We're four six and three throughout the, uh, throughout the first part of the year. One one and one. Nice round number for us. Nice round record for us uh, over the last week. Um, but Dallin, you have an interesting stat here that I think uh, uh, you should be pointing out here because Dallin, we, we just can't put the puck in the net. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're no hockey experts here. We are the official uh, podcast of the Seattle Kraken, but we're not hockey experts, and we're not going to get into. But I could do some math, and I could do some numbers, and I and I could kind of figure some things out. And uh, I think I know our problem. We just need to score more goals. Perfect. Uh, Let's do know, it. <laughs> it turns out, like in any sport, if you score more points than your opponent, you win. Uh, and yeah, like, obviously I'm joking a little bit about this, but that is a trend as I've looked at the Kraken this year. Cause again, four, six and three, as Mitch said, it's not bad. It's not great. We're not, you know, in the playoff hunt at that point, but you're, you're not bottom. We're not the San Jose Sharks. If you want to talk about a team having an absolute collapse this season, Mitch, the San Jose Sharks, I think they lost multiple games of like eight to nothing, like yeah. eight plus goals scored against. Them. I mean, the Sharks are just. They're bad. I mean, they're doing they're doing the Philadelphia Sixers uh, trust the process. Uh, you know, they're 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 impressing them with the tank job that uh, they're doing there in San Jose. But uh, but Seattle for the crack in this year, we just aren't scoring enough goals. We're twenty first in goals allowed. Uh, Philip Grubauer has struggled a bit. Where last year that was one of the strengths was the goalkeeping for this team. But we are not helping them on the offensive side. Twenty eighth in goals scored per game when you're 28th in goals scored and 21st in goals allowed you're not going to win many games that's just how it works so the offense needs to pick it up the goalkeeping the defense has got to get better as well but there's a glaring weakness uh so far this season if you ask me and it's certainly uh goal scored now that was a major trend early in the season it's something we talked about They've gotten better as of late, more competitive in that sense, but we need to see continued improvement in that regard. Uh, yeah, I mean, by my math, that's a uh, that's fourth worst in goals per game. I mean, that's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's awful, not good. So. No, we're, we're not in a good spot. Um, certainly seems like a step back for our boys. Uh, you know, we we had the playoff berth last year. Um, you know, there was some hope. There was some hope, and we told everyone, "Don't get too excited." It's about a, a gradual process for our Kraken, um, but this certainly feels like a step back. But we're not dead. Not A lot of puck left. A yes. lot of puck left. So um, we'll keep you updated on the Kraken uh, as the season goes on. Um, hopefully we'll have more exciting news about the Kraken moving forward uh, as we go throughout the NHL season. Down, let's get into the camp store because college football uh, had another banger of a week. Had another banger of a week, and let's start um, with our Week 10 recap, and let's start in the Pac-12. UW getting it done over USC um, and Arizona upsetting UCLA, and I think that um, we'll, we'll get into Arizona-UCLA here in just a second, but this just solidifies to me with this UW win over USC that I and I, I don't know why I still held out hope about USC, that maybe they were just going through a tough rough stretch, you know, a tough stretch. Yeah. They're pretenders. They're pretenders, and we all got duped. We all got duped by USC thinking that they could somehow turn this defense around and that Lincoln Riley could could somehow get this team pointed in the right direction to be a a serious college football playoff contender. We all got duped. USC is a pretender 
They're nowhere near, um, dare I say, nowhere near top 25 consideration for me. I mean, just poor, poor performances out of USC in these losses. And, I mean, you're matching up against UW, who is one of the best teams in the country. This just solidifies it for me. I mean, we talked about Pac- the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself. It's very clear, though, that USC was not going to be a part of that conversation. They're just going to get cannibalized by everyone else. Um, with that being Washington and Oregon, um, USC, pretenders. Pretenders, pretenders, we all got duped. Yeah, I mean, the defense is, I mean, it's just, that's all it comes down to for USC. I mean, this offense is more than capable of competing. Uh, and we knew the defense was bad last year. That was the glaring problem with USC right. last year. And as you said, we expected like as some level of improvement in some regard and it got worse and it led to Alex Grinch, the DC fired this week uh, following the loss to Washington where he gave up 52 points. They didn't get to 60. I didn't call it. I was cl- I was hoping I was holding out hope at the end. I was like, Oh, come on, get that 60 mark. Uh, they didn't, but uh, yeah, USC, just that defense is not competitive at all. And uh, when you're in shootouts every single game with the poorest defense, you're not going to be able to compete. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a shame for the offense. It's a shame for Caleb Williams and uh, and uh, Marshawn Lloyd and all the talent that's on that offense because they should have been com- more competitive this year. But uh, the defense let them down. And we'll see when Lincoln Riley brings in a new D.C. next year. Uh who they bring in and what kind of impact they has. Cause he needs to turn that around or he's going to lose his job. So uh, yeah, D- dire times in USC. They got to figure some things out uh, this off season for sure. Yeah. I mean, very dire times for USC. They got to figure it out on the defensive side of the ball. Selfish hope. Matt Eberflus gets fired from Chicago. He goes to <laughs> USC becomes the defensive coordinator. And we bring go. in Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. There wow. Go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Selfish hope. Selfish hope. Write it in. Probably not going to happen, but I could, I could hope. Right. Yeah. Um, Arizona upsetting UCLA though, was another big, a big, big deal here. And I think that UCLA, um, just, they're one of those teams just kind of hung on by a thread the entire time to be a top 25 ranked team and come to find out that, you know, they're good, but they're not top 25 good. And I think that, that this loss to Arizona kind of answered those questions. And Arizona's a good team as well. Yeah, the Wildcats uh, beating number 19 UCLA 27 to 10. UCLA had been the best defense in the Pac-12 this season, statistically, in Pac-12 play. They had been the best defense. It was the reason why they were ranked top 25 because the offense was pretty rough for UCLA. So surprising to see Arizona put up over 400 yards on the day score 27 points to get the get the victory. Noah Fafita, I mean, what what a gem day. that uh, Jed Fish has found himself there. Uh, Jaden Delora, the, the starter to start the season, played really well. Fafita has come in and played that much better. Uh, he's really been a true revelation for the Wildcats and uh, has them 6-3 uh, and three now with this big win, I believe. Were they ranked in the college football playoff rankings? I got to pull up the picture real quick uh, uh, that I had of it. I don't remember if they were ranked, but uh, certainly, you know, in that consideration. But I mean, this is an Arizona team that was really down bad. Uh, not that ranked, long ago. They were number, ranked 21, number 21. Number 21. 21. So, yep. yeah, Arizona, impressive win. Impressive what they've done this year. And listen, 
I just want to I just want to say I just want to say Mitch, who did we have in the Pac-12 as the overachieving team this year? Arizona? Arizona. Yep. You and I both picked the Wildcats to overachieve this year. They're already bowl eligible and looking to take even more away out of this Pac-12 race. So love to see it. So I mean, we're geniuses. Is basically uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you said it, not me. Uh, but I will agree. So I mean, I I can be <laughs> bullish on ourselves, right? I can be yeah. bullish for us. Yeah, I like um, that. <laughs> Dallas, uh, moving on to the Big Twelve, the a a bittersweet moment here. The last bedlam. The bas- yeah. the last bedlam. OK State upsets Oklahoma in the final Bedlam game. Um, they get that one done. Uh, of course, Texas survives against K-State. But really, the news here is the final game in Bedlam. Um, number 22, Oklahoma State getting it done overnight. Number 9, Oklahoma 27-24. I did get to watch that game. Uh, a fantastic game. Uh, and it feels like a fitting end to this. Um. You want to see the competitive nature of these two in-state rivals clash. Um, But I think what's most fitting about this is that over the history of this game, there's just, there's been so many great moments and to see an upset be the penultimate moment for this matchup, for this rivalry um, really seems to be fitting for this one. Um, I love that the pokes pulled this one out. I picked the pokes to win this game. Um, and this was this just seemed fitting that OK State walks out with the final win in Bedlam. Not to say that it's not going to happen again down the road. Of course, uh, you know, out of conference scheduling could match them up in the in you know future future years. But um, it it's a little bit of a bittersweet moment to see such a historic matchup come to an end here this week, this last weekend. Yeah, and nice for Cowboys fans to send Oklahoma pack into the SEC with a big L. And on top of that, Mitch, knocking them out of the college football playoff race, right? Because with two yes. losses on the season, you're gone. Uh, See ya. Oklahoma's not going to have a case. So what what a what a way to, to sort of send them pack in there for Oklahoma State. Uh, thanks for nothing. See you later. Have fun in the <laughs> SEC. Uh, you're the new Nebraska. And oh, by the way, you're not making the college football playoffs. So uh, yeah, I mean, impressive. And, and listen, I want to give a lot of credit to Oklahoma State. Uh, it was very early in this season where many thought they were just absolutely uh, poised for an awful season. They did not look impressive in their opening wins against Central Arkansas and Arizona State and then lost 33 to 7 to South Alabama. And after right. that game, it was like, is Mike Gundy going to keep his job after this year? Is Oklahoma State going to win a, a game in conference play? And here they are now, 7-2, and two, top 15 ranked. Uh, just absolute turnaround. We shouldn't have doubted the Cowboys. We shouldn't have doubted Mike Gundy. Uh, and he has this team uh, in position to make the Big 12 championship game. Texas, Oklahoma State, both 5-1, and one, both at the top of the Big 12. That would be the conference championship game right now. So a lot of credit needs to go to that team and, and that coaching staff and the and the way that they've bounced back after a really rough way to start their season. So uh big win. I love that I love that um everyone started to come after Mike Gundy because he's a man. He's 40. <laughs> yeah, that so is. like I, I love that we he could take him after Mac. Yeah, he, <laughs> he could take it. He's a man. He's 40. Exactly. So um, but no, a great turnaround. Alan Bowman, by the way, didn't throw a touchdown pass in this one, but 28 for 42 and 334. 
uh, a great performance of the year for Alan Bowman um, in this Oklahoma State game. A fantastic matchup uh, and a good send-off for the Bedlam matchup. But when, you, when we talk about Texas Dallin, um holding on against Kansas State, another very close matchup, a overtime yeah. matchup, 33-30, to 30, getting it done over Kansas State, keeping their playoff hopes alive. Um, I think Kansas State's a good team, but Dallin, it just doesn't feel like this is Texas's year to be in a college football playoff if you're barely holding on against Kansas State, who is a great team, but not a top 15, not a top 10, top 10 team in the country. Uh, it just feels like Texas is going to be a great team, but not a college football playoff contender for me. Yeah, especially without Quinn Ewers, right? And I think that's yeah. sort of the glaring thing here. Malik Murphy, better in this game than maybe he was against BYU, but not great. Uh, you win this game 33-30 to 30 in overtime. Uh, meanwhile, the Tex- uh, Texas Longhorns uh, got uh, was able to amass 478 total yards in the game, 230 rushing yards, average six yards per rush. Uh, they yeah. outpaced them by over a hundred yards. And you ask yourself, well, how do they even, how is this even that close of a game? Uh, Texas is two of 15 on third down, 10 penalties and three turnovers. That's going to do it. That's sloppy. That's really ugly. Really sloppy. And so Texas is lucky. They won this game. Cause if they lose this game, they're out of the college football playoff with two losses after the loss to uh, Texas, uh, Kansas last week. So Texas survives this for the moment they stay alive in the playoff race, they'll have TCU, Iowa state and Texas tech to wrap up the season. Not the toughest of opponents, but they're not pushovers in the big 12 either. And considering, uh, you know, what we've seen from Texas, I don't know, uh, how confident I feel like in them, uh, closing out the season without a loss. So if they were to get to the big 12 championship with the one loss to Oklahoma, and if they were to win the Big 12 as a one-loss team, they would certainly have a case. They'd need some help to get in there, but not an impressive win by Texas. If anything, they just kind of barely survived what should have been an upset loss. Yeah, and I think on the flip side, too, and it'd be I, I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention this guy um, for having a, a very solid performance. Will Howard had a great night under center. Uh, 26 for 41, 327 and 4. Um I mean, just a, a great night to keep them in that conversation of winning this game against Texas. Um, like I said, Kansas State, a very tough team, but Texas um, eking that one out. And I mean, now serious questions have to come up about Texas, though. Are they are they the real contenders that we think they are? Um, arrows point towards no right now, I think, for both of us um, after that performance against Kansas State, even though they got the dub. Dallin, SEC, Georgia, and Alabama, they take care of business. They get it done over Missouri and LSU, respectively. Um, Alabama getting it done 42-28 over LSU. Uh, Georgia getting the job done over Missouri 30-21. to I don't know what to take away from the SEC out of this one. I don't know. I, I'm a little confused because I want to say that Alabama looks like the best team in the SEC West right now. I really do, but I don't feel confident in saying that. But they just beat LSU kind of in a sloppy fashion. They're one of the more penalized teams in the nation. 
um, especially on the offensive line. God damn it. That offensive line is so bad in Alabama, but we had a good night. They gave Jalen, Jalen Milrow plenty of time to get the job done. They get the job done, but Georgia and or Georgia and Missouri, a closer game. And Missouri seems to hang around with the number two team in the nation. I, I'm just a little bit confused on what to take away from these two matchups. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the score on the Georgia-Missouri game looks a little closer. It's 24-13 going into the fourth quarter. And uh, yeah, Missouri, I think, gave them some fight there. Credit to uh, Missouri. I think that's one of those weird teams that's like, how good are they actually, right? Like, I know they're 7-1, and one, but like, you know, how how good are they? And I mean, pretty impressive showing to to hang around in a game and at least be competitive with uh, Georgia in this one. And, uh, you know, LSU on the other side, I mean, I just, that was just a dominant Alabama offense in that yeah. game. And J- Jalen Milrow was, uh, was on one. So that was really impressive for Alabama. For Georgia, they're, they're finally facing some tests. They passed one. They'll have more to come. I'm not totally convinced on Georgia and frankly, I'm not convinced on Alabama either. They're looking yep. better than they did earlier in the season. And that's exactly what you want to see from the Crimson Tide. But I just hope we get these two teams in the SEC championship game. Cause then, then it, then it's anyone's game and I can't wait to watch that. So we'll see if we get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. Our only hope now is that we get in to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. Winner of that goes to the college football playoff. I mean, yeah. that that's the way it goes. So, um, I, I think that we are, we being the Crimson Tide, me being a Crimson Tide fan, um, we we put ourselves in a good position by getting this win over LSU because, uh, darn it. We were going to have a real, we weren't going to have any path if we lose this game to LSU. So yeah, um, no doubt big, big win for both Georgia and Alabama to keep their playoff. Um, contention hopes alive. Of course, Georgia is securely in it right now, but um, that will remain to be seen when we get to the SEC championship game. Um, Dallin, moving forward, reactions to the college football playoff ranking. Um, not a whole lot of movement. Not a no. whole lot of movement. Um, so maybe not a whole lot to react to here. Yeah, no, not really much. The top eight remains the same and in the exact same order. And to remind you, uh, listening, uh, in that order from one to eight, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, those are the four in the playoff at the moment, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, uh, round that out. Those are the eight, I think, in the most contention. At nine, you have Ole Miss. They're going to play Georgia this week. A win for Ole Miss over number two, uh, number two Georgia would certainly give uh, the Rebels a, a, a strong case there. But outside of that, I think everybody else is really on the outside looking in, especially this late in the season. We don't see many teams outside of the top five or six from this point uh, make the playoff. It's very rare. Uh, so those are kind of the eight teams you're looking at right now. Um, outside of that, uh, you know, Oklahoma obviously falls quite a bit. They fall to 17 in the rankings after their loss. Arizona, Iowa. And North Carolina joined the rankings at uh, 21, 22, and 24, respectively. Uh, and then uh, Tulane, the highest-ranked group of five team right now at number 23. Uh, Air Force got upset. They were in the rankings. They are out. So Tulane, the only group of five team remaining. And uh, they would be the they would slot into that New Year's Six berth uh, as they did 
last year. So uh, we'll see if anyone can shake them in that regard, because that's the other thing to watch here with the rankings, that highest group of five team that's going to earn the New Year's six bull bid. Yeah, I mean, I I hate to see Air Force get knocked out. I really did. I, I loved that they were in the top 25. And I hate to see that James Madison got bumped, too. Um, you know, they're they're not in that top 25 as well. Um, but good for Tulane getting in eight and one down. I, I do have a quick question though here outside of that top eight, looking through that, like 10 to 15 range. Is there any of those teams that you feel like might put themselves in the conversation, um, moving, moving forward as far as uh college football playoffs go? You know, I think that's really tough. Like I said, I think, Outside of that top eight, it's going to be really, really hard for anybody to make uh, a strong, compelling case to be a playoff team. I mean, and they'll certainly need a lot of help. The one team that I sort of feel like maybe could get there. I mean, you have Penn State at 10. They're going to play. Uh, they're going to play Michigan this week, right? They lost to Ohio State. But if they were to beat Michigan and then get to a Big Ten champion, you know, Penn State, you know, if they were to turn it around with one loss, they could do it. But Louisville, at one mm-hmm. loss, with an easy ACC schedule, and Florida State in the ACC championship game, a top four team that they could knock off for their signature win, the problem for the Cardinals, Mitch, is that awful loss to Pitt. You cannot lose to Pitt. If you would have lost to a ranked Duke team, if you would have lost to another good team and that was your lone loss on the season I think Louisville would have a much stronger case but the fact that that loss came against an unranked pit team that was just not good that is going to sting and the committee will not let them in as a result but that's the one team I think would have the strongest argument if they were to win out win the ACC one loss team you know uh, they'd have a pretty strong case yeah yeah and I think and I think you're right outside of that top eight it's going to be tough it's going to be really tough yeah so um, but glad to have that insight yeah. from you. Della. What about you? I mean, I have to go with Louisville as well. I mean, just, just you're a Brom guy. I'm a Brom guy now. <laughs> like I, I'm just, I'm all in on Louisville. Um, but I do think that there's a, there's a, there's a path where Penn state gets in. It's, yeah. it's more murky than it is for Louisville. Um, there's really no path where Ole Miss gets in. There's no path as, well, as, as great if, as, as great as they've been. I don't know if there's this much week. Uh, so, and that's where I don't know on the standings. We'll have to check this because they do play Georgia. Now, Georgia isn't in the same division in the sec and the sec still does divisions East versus right. West and Ole Miss does trail by a game to Alabama and Alabama does have the tiebreaker over Ole Miss. So they would need the tide to lose two games uh, regardless to even get to the SEC championship game. And that would include Ole Miss having to beat number two, Georgia. So yeah, I, I agree with you. They could get to 11 and one, but they might not even make the It'd conference championship game. And then if you don't even make the conference championship game, what kind of case do you have? So yeah, you uh, don't. Yeah. So I agree yeah. with that. But yeah, I, 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 I'm on board with you that it's Louisville and then maybe Penn state is yeah. the sneaky sleeper that might get in on technicalities pretty much. So, um, I, yeah, I'm on board with you. I'm on board with you. Um, Dallin MVP of the week. You're bringing the MVP of the week this week. So what do you got? 
Who you got? Yeah, I am. Uh, listen, we talked about the Huskies putting up a 52 spot on the USC Trojans. It's a good day for you when you get to go against uh, the USC defense. And it was a good day for Dylan Johnson. You know, this Huskies team, not known for the rushing attack, not known for running it. They're like the top passing team in, in college football. They pass it more than anybody. Michael Penix, all those wide receivers. That's what they do. But it was Dylan Johnson, the running back. Washington that had the biggest impact in the biggest game in the 52 to 42 win on the road at USC 26 carries 256 yards and four touchdowns that is good for 9.8 yards per carry the kid was averaging a first down every time he touched it and he touched it 26 times on the ground so uh, I mean four touchdowns Dylan Johnson have yourself a day MVP of the week Love it. Love that uh, pick for MVP of the week. Down upset of the week. Army getting it done over Air Force. 23-3. to Yeah. Big, yep. big, big. Air Force was favored minus 17 and a half. Home favorites. And get this big, get it, they get blown out. Yeah, and Air Force was a lot of people's trendy pick to be that group of five New Year's six team, right? They were ranked number 25 in the college football playoff rankings last week. Those initial rankings yeah. undefeated on the season up until this point against an army team. That was like three wins. This was not a good army team. And to just get dominated in that fashion by army on at home. I mean, it's just, wow. What a terrible loss for air force. They could still win the mountain West. They likely will win the mountain West. But 11 and 1 with a loss to Army on your resume is going to hurt when Tulane can go on to win the AAC. When James Madison, if they could get the waiver approval from the NCAA, which they've submitted again to be bull eligible, they could potentially be the group of five representative if that if that waiver gets approved. Probably not going to happen. But yeah, I the Air Force should have and could have arguably been the favorite coming into this week. But after that loss. Yeah, uh, you could probably count that goodbye. You know, that sucks because, like, I love seeing a military academy doing well. And they seem to cannibalize the, you know, each yeah. other. <laughs> Navy beats Army. Army beats Navy. Navy beats Air Force. Army beats Air Force. Ar- Air Force beats Army. I mean, it's just, it's endless with these guys. But, um, yeah, tough, tough look for Air Force. They, they really, I think they really do have a good program going forward right now. I think they really do have a really good program. Um, just a tough lost army, tough lost army, yeah. uh, Dallin Heisman watch week 10, a little bit of shuffling and a new name that's going to pop up in this top five. Yeah. Uh, Heisman watch for this week in this order at number one remains the same. Michael Penix jr. At the top of the list, Bo Nix, the quarterback from Oregon, number two, Jaden Daniels quarterback from LSU. Number three. Caleb Williams, quarterback for USC, number four. And for the first time on our list, Jordan Travis, quarterback for Florida State at number five. We dropped Dylan Gabriel from the list. Uh, I believe yeah. he was, was he number three last week? Number I think. four. He was number, number four. four. Uh, he drops out after the after the loss to, to Oklahoma State. And, um, you know, I think that fifth spot is up for grabs. I think you could mention a number of players. I feel like I'd be comfortable putting in there, but I like Travis one because Florida state is undefeated on the season. They're number four. 
in the playoff rankings. And so uh, leading his team to those numbers, it deserves some credit, but he's having himself a very nice season. He doesn't have the passing attempts, the numbers, like a lot of those guys at the top, he's under uh, 2,500 uh, passing yards on the season, though he is averaging, uh, you know, 8.5 yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns to just two interceptions. He's added seven touchdowns on the ground and completing 64% of his passes. So he's efficient. He's not putting up uh, the gaudy numbers that you'd want to see from a Heisman. And uh, listen, he was my Heisman pick before the year. Uh, I was, I'm in on Florida state. I was in on them as a playoff team and I picked him to win the Heisman. And I don't think he will, unless he has an incredible last three weeks. But, uh, I think at this point, you know, he's warranted to be considered there at number five. I also think, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel, you, you could, you could put him in there. I'd be okay with that. JJ McCarthy. If you want to talk about top quarterbacks and efficiency, I mean, you think you can make a case for him and what about, uh, the non quarterback that we added to our top 10 little, uh, pool of players this week yeah my back-to-back player of the week ollie gordon i mean out of ok state i mean this guy's incredible but you know and you made a great point when we were talking about this and kind of talking ourselves through a top five you got to be in that 2000 yard conversation to really be um in the heisman conversation you really got to be there Probably, and I would I would argue that you know probably that eighteen hundred to two thousand like sure. you just and, and a prolific score. I mean, you got to be getting you know fifteen to twenty touchdowns to be in that conversation. Um, a very important part of that offense, probably just outside that Heisman watch for us right now. Um, but I feel pretty confident about this top five that we got. Um, Jordan Travis is a very integral part of that Florida State offense. Um, having himself a great year. Um, even though that USC is outside of the top 25, Caleb Williams, he's the defending Heisman Trophy winner. He's putting up outstanding numbers. So he still has to be kind of in that consideration. Um, but those top three, man, I, mean, I think it's a three-horse race mm. right now in my mind with, with Penix, Knicks, and Daniels. Um, they just seem to be really putting together the best years that they possibly could. Um, and even though Daniels gets the loss to Alabama, um, it's it's going to be a it, it 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 might even be a Penix Knicks race by the end of next week. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like it. I mean, Daniels has put up incredible numbers, and he deserves credit. And that's why he should be, I think, number three this season because of what he's done. But the fact that his team is not winning, and you know, there's some guys that are having really good seasons, and teams that are having really good seasons in Oregon and Washington at top. I do think it's kind of a Penix Knicks sort of race almost at this point, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll hope that we get a rematch of those guys in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, as we, I think, talked about last week, maybe for a chance to stake their claim on the award uh, with a win in that game. So I did want to mention this as well. We talked about Ollie Gordon at running back. The last time we had a running back finish in the top five of Heisman voting, 2020 with uh, Najee Harris. And I'm going to give you the stat line for Najee Harris this year. Again, he was fifth in voting. Devontae Smith won it this year. Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask ahead of him. But these were the numbers for Najee Harris. 251 attempts, 1,466 yards, averaged 5.8 yards per carry with 26 touchdowns. Yeah. And so it, you can get under 1,500 yards if you score 25 times. Then, you know, I think that'll help. Uh, so you've either got to have a lot of touchdowns 
or you've got to hit, like you said, 18 to 2000 rushing yards on the season to really be in that consideration. Yeah. That's not Phil Klein for him, but I'm going to be excited to watch him. And I'm, Oh yeah. He's still one of my uh, dark horses. I'll put him as dark horse for me. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Okay. Games to watch this me this week, Mitch, the, uh, the last thing to wrap up the campus tour here. You had uh, a great week in the picks, Mitch, a clean sweep for Mitch, Mm -hmm. a perfect seven points on the week. I had four points myself. Thanks to the Washington lock. Uh, so totals now on the season, I'm at 29 points. Mitch is at 23 points, narrowing the gap a little bit. We've got a couple weeks left and of course, conference championship weekend with the super lock, then, then anything can happen. Uh, it's anyone's game at that point. So, uh, this was an important week for you. Well done getting, uh, five for five on the picks. Yeah, that felt pretty good. That felt pretty damn good. Um, and I closed a gap that I very sorely needed to close so uh glad that we got that done um down let's get into this first game number three michigan nine and oh number three michigan they're going to head over to uh happy valley happy valley that's what it's called (laughs) happy valley to take on the number 10 penn state nittany lions ranked number 10 michigan right now at minus four and a half road favorites. I know the cheating scandals have been uh, plaguing Michigan. Mm. Connor Stallion resigns. They don't have their spy anymore. I still think Michigan is the better team than Penn State. And I'm, I'm going to say that Michigan's going to get this one done. I'm not going to lock it, but I like Michigan over Penn State um, in this matchup. Okay. Yeah. You know, I like Michigan in this game as well. I'm not a big believer in Penn state. Uh, you know, I know they kind of hung tough in that Ohio state loss, but, uh, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I've never really been convinced on this team. Anybody in the big 10, frankly, outside of those top two teams, it's like, who, how good are they even when you get to play Minnesota and Northwestern and Illinois and Indiana every year? Like how good, how good are you? I mean, I don't know, but Michigan at minus four and a half, Mitch. I think I have to lock this. I'm going to lock Michigan at minus four and a half. It's a weird line because it has to be a touchdown, right? We we have to look for like a touchdown here. It can't be just a field goal at the end. You know, we need something significant, but I have trust in the Wolverines in the, in the midst of this scandal and on the road at Penn state, they'll get it done and they'll get it done enough to get that lock at minus four and a half. So I will lock Michigan on that one. I like it. I like another it. top 10 matchup this week, Mitch, number nine, Ole Miss eight and one on the season headed to Georgia nine and oh, Georgia number two in the college football playoff rankings, Georgia favored at home in this one minus 10 and a half. They survived their first, uh, maybe real test of the season against Missouri. They also get to host this game, which certainly helps. I think Ole Miss is a much better team than what we saw out of Missouri, but I will take Georgia in this one, though I do think that this is a one-score game. I think this is a one-score game. Maybe it's even a field goal win for Georgia. I think Ole Miss gives them everything. This is the toughest task, the toughest challenge ahead for Georgia before the SEC championship game is this game right here. It's a must-win Ole Miss is going to give them hell, but Georgia will get it done. Yeah, this is a tasty line to me. 
tasty. Love this. Minus 10 and a half. I'm going to have to pass on it, though. I, I, I will take... I will take Georgia as I really want to take Ole Miss in this one because I think Georgia's going to lose a game somewhere. This is probably their best opportunity to lose a game. But I'm going to take Georgia because I think that's the safe pick because I need points down. I need points. <laughs> so I'm going to take Georgia in this one. No luck. No luck. All right. Uh, Dallin, following that, a Pac-12 matchup. Number 18, Utah. Traveling over to UW to take on the Huskies. Number five ranked Washington, 9-0. Right now, Washington favorite, minus 9.5 at home. Home favorites. Another one that it's tasty. It's a tasty line. I don't know what it is about these bigger spreads that feel so good. I'm going to take Washington. And I'm not gonna lock again. I'm not gonna lock again. I, I, <laughs> ah, I want to. They're, these last two games, I really want to lock, but I can't do it. I, I have to take Washington outright. Yeah, you know this is an interesting one. This Utah team that upset USC looked like it had some momentum. Absolutely collapsed against Oregon. I mean, nowhere close to competitive in that game bounced back and just beat up on ASU last week, who is not a good team. No, not a good team. But an impressive thing to see from this Utah squad to lose the way they did to Oregon and bounce back and win big over Arizona State. So I don't really know what to make of this Utah team. The defense is tough. The offense just cannot compete. The offense just cannot compete with this Washington offense. Even against a good defense, Washington's going to score 30. I don't believe Utah can score 30. So I will take Washington in this game. But I think this will be a tough one. I could just see the Utes. The Utes are not an easy out. The U- Utah's no. not an easy out. That's So I could just see this being a challenging win for Washington. You know what you know? the Utes are? The Utes are the poster child for spoiler teams. Mm. They're going to ruin your season at some point. They're just like, they're that competitive enough, but not a top tier team. I yeah. They're the post child for that. Yeah. I like it. All right. Uh, SEC matchup, Mitch, another one, another ranked SEC matchup. 13, number 13, Tennessee, seven and two on the season. Uh, headed to Missouri to take on the number 14 ranked Missouri Tigers. Seven and two on the season as well. Tennessee favored on the road in this one. Minus one. It's the tightest line we've got this week uh, by far at just one point. This is, this is, I mean, the line represents it. It feels like a toss up game in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this Missouri team. As I said, and Tennessee has been good, but not uh, spectacular this year. They haven't been overly impressive. Uh, Two losses coming at, Florida and at Alabama, but no, no win to speak of this year. I mean, the best win they have is over Kentucky, you know? So what to make of this Tennessee team? How good are they? How good is Missouri? I don't know, Mitch. I don't know. So I'm taking Tennessee in this one. Uh, Just because I just don't know if I could believe in Missouri as a good football program. (laughs) I just, (laughs) I don't know. It just feels weird to pick them. So I'm going to go with Tennessee. I wish you didn't do that. Mm, I bet you did. 
<laughs> I wish you didn't do that. Um, I, I wish you went Missouri so you made this pick easier on me. Um, I need points. I need points. Give me a Missouri. Okay. Give me uh, a Missouri. I mean, it's a toss-up game. This seems like a good game to pick the toss-up, right? You know? Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It's a really good toss-up game. I No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. A Pac-12 matchup. Seven and three USC unranked USC going to number six, Oregon, Oregon, keeping their playoff hopes alive by continuing to win. They're eight and one Oregon right now favored minus 15. Give me the ducks and lock it in. Wow. I am going to take the biggest line that we got this week. And I have all the faith in the world that this, USC defense continues to collapse, continues to collapse and be bad. And Oregon has a field day against USC. In fact, let me stamp it down. Now you wanted to see plus six, uh, 60 plus points last week. It's going over 60 this week. Mm, this is the week for it. This is the week that it goes over 60. Oregon puts up 60 plus on USC and covers the spread. Give me Oregon with the lock. Wow, what a rough stretch for USC. Fire the DC and things get worse. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit for this. I mean, this USC team, we, we saw this defense is awful. And it, the, the personnel isn't going to change week by week, even if they have a new DC. So uh, I am going to pick Oregon in this game. Very bold to take the 15 line. I love it's, that. It's but you, we need points. <laughs> this is the season. You need a bold move to make a move. You hit that lock, those couple extra points there, that makes a big difference. So it's I like the, it. The question is going to be, should I just taken it in the Missouri Tennessee game or the Georgia Ole Miss game? That, that's yeah. going to be the question. I mean, yeah. that that'll be where it is. We'll find so, out right on Saturday. Yeah. But uh, again, coming down to the wire, six points separate us in these picks. And uh, I mean, we're in week uh, 11 of the college football season. So just um, three weeks of regular season play left and then conference championship weekend. So winding down here, the college football season. Yes, 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 yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Dallin. That is going to wind up our campus tour for the week. And it's time to get in to a segment that we've done since day one here at the podcast, our quick picks, our quick picks of the, for week 10 in the NFL. Um, look, your boy had another bad week, five and nine last week. God, that's terrible. I think I've had 10 winners in the last two weeks. It's terrible, terrible, but Dallin, you wound up nine and five and you jump out to a commanding nine game lead over me in the quick picks. I'm right now sitting at 77 and 59. You are at 86 and 50. Um, I got to make some moves. I got to make some moves. It's, it's teetering on like play it safe, but also make some moves to pick hmm. some upsets here. And I don't know on um, some of these games, which way to go, but I've made my picks already, but I'm, I'm in, I'm in trouble. 
I'm in trouble right now, Dallin. It's a tricky spot to be in. Uh, we are halfway through the season. So you got a lot of time left. That's the good left. news for a lot us. Of but yeah. you don't want to let this thing get to 12, 15 games or else that's going to be, you know, a huge deficit to try to overcome. So you got to keep things tight and start chipping away a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see if you can turn it around this week. I believe in you. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I hope I hope I can. Dallin, let's kick this week off with Thursday night football. And Dallin, it is, I believe, only the second time in podcast history. It is the Sports Hour Bowl. It the is. Sports Hour Bowl, the Carolina Panthers. They are headed over to the Windy City to take on the Chicago Bears. Right now, the Bears favored minus three and a half. And Dallin... Let's just uh let's get it out of the way. This is just this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. It's not garbage game of the week in our minds, though. This is the best game of the week because me and Dallin get to face off head to head. We realize that the our teams are bad. But you know what? We get to take pride in our teams. And Dallin, you gotta be crazy if you think I'm taking your Panthers <laughs> over my Chicago Bears. Bear down. Give me the Bears in this matchup at home against the Carolina Panthers. Listen, if you're a smart NFL fan, you are nowhere near Amazon Prime tomorrow night when this game is going on. <laughs> You've made plans. You're spending time with your significant other. You're visiting a relative. You're doing something more meaningful and impactful than watching this awful football game. But God damn it, you know who will be there? Mitch Bo and, and I. Yes, right, Because baby. this game means everything to me. Thursday night football, and the Panthers are getting it done. Win two on the year. Bryce Young versus Tyson Bajan. Are you kidding me? Get the hell out of here. Give me the Panthers. The but the football might be so bad that our TVs spontaneously combust <laughs> into flames, but you're damn right you and I will be turning into that one. Not doctor recommended, right. but sports hour recommended for Thursday That's night. Right. So there you go. Uh, following that, Mitch, uh, why are we subjecting the poor people of Germany to this game, the international game this week? And it's the Indianapolis Colts four and five on the season versus the two and seven New England Patriots. I mean, listen, I love the Colts. They've been fun. We talked about how good their offense is. This Patriots team is awful. Indy favored minus one and a half in this one. I'll take the Colts and I will apologize uh, after the after the great matchup, not a great game per se, but a great matchup last week with the Dolphins and Chiefs, to then give them Colts Patriots, that it's kind of mean. I don't know. We could have done better. Could have done better. Yeah, I mean, I felt like we just teased him a little bit that like the whole league is good, you yeah. know. And then you I give mean, them this, take the Colts, lay the number minus one and a half. Um, Colts, Colts, Colts all day long. I like the Colts in this one. Following that down, we're going back stateside. For our morning Sunday slate, we got the Cleveland Browns. They're heading over to Baltimore, Maryland, to take on the Baltimore Ravens. Right now, the Ravens favored minus six. And this one, tight game. Tight game. That Cleveland defense we talked about earlier, very, very good. I think the Baltimore does get it done by a field goal. I like Baltimore over Cleveland. Yeah, Baltimore has been on a roll after, you know, a, a pretty slow start on the season for them. Uh, they've really come into their own. And these last few weeks, some dominant 
dominant wins. Uh, Baltimore has been very impressive. I will take them to win this game at home. Should be a close one. Cleveland, divisional matchup. Should be a good game. Uh, one of the better games this week, but I will take uh, Baltimore. Following that, Mitch, speaking of great games, the San Francisco 49ers looking to bounce back after a rough stretch, and they've got to head to the swamps of Jacksonville to take on Trevor Lawrence and the 6-2 and two Jags. San Francisco road favorites at minus three. Give me Jacksonville to get it done. Are we going to start calling for uh, things to happen in San Francisco? If they go to five and four, we'll see. But I'm taking Jacksonville at home in this one. And the words of the great league Corso, not so fast, my friend. I have to take the San Francisco 49ers on the road to get this one done. I think they have a good bounce back week with a solid Solid convinced, solid win over the Jacksonville Jaguars in a close one. Jacksonville, not any discredit to them, but I think San Francisco bounces back in a big way, gets swung over the Jags. Give me the Niners. Following that game, the Green Bay Packers, the rat people of the Midwest, they are heading over to the Steel City to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers right now favored minus three and a half. Steelers, they've been outscored on the year, but they have been convincing at home. Give me that towel. I'm going to start waving that terrible towel. Give me the Steelers at home over the Packers. Packers don't look very good right now. They look bad. Yeah, Packers have had it really hit a rough stretch after it felt like they looked, you know, at least above average to good to start this season. Things have really taken a turn for the worse, but I do expect Green Bay to turn it around at some point, and this Pittsburgh team, especially offensively, is not convincing in the slightest. Uh, so I'm going to take Green Bay in a matchup of classic NFL franchises here. Huh? Packers and Steelers, I love that. I'll take Green Bay on the road to get it done. Following that, Mitch, the New Orleans Saints are headed to Minnesota to take on Josh Dobbs and the Vikings. He is Geno Smithing his career, Mitch, and you love to see it. Comes in for Jaron Hall, gets knocked out with a concussion last week and leads the Vikings to a win. He doesn't even know the playbook. He's never snapped with these guys. They're, they're practicing cadence on the sidelines so the offensive linemen know what the hell he's doing out there. It's incredible what, what they were able to do last week, and now he's the guy headed into this game. Minnesota rolls to a victory. Give me the Vikings. Give me Minnesota. I mean, Josh Dobbs in the huddle going, hey, 74, what's 17's name? Yeah, 17. Okay, I need you to do that over there, okay? Like, he doesn't know anyone in that offense. He doesn't know anyone, and he's still going to get this job done. Give me Minnesota over the Saints at home. Love the Vikes in this one at plus two and a half. Following that game, the Houston Texans, they're headed over to Cincinnati to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals right now favored at minus seven. Bengals, they're rolling as of late. They have found their stride. One of the more dangerous teams in the AFC, I think, right now at this moment. Give me the Bengals over the Texans. CJ Stroud plays well, suffers a tough loss, though. Bengals by a score and a half. Give me Cincinnati. Yeah, I'll take Cincinnati as well in this one. Uh, they need to keep, keep things rolling. And especially, uh, as I mentioned earlier, figuring out this offense, getting points on the board. Good week to do it against Houston, who has a not a great defense. Cincinnati wins big in this one uh, at home. Last uh, 
early morning uh, slate game, Mitch. The Tennessee Titans at three and five headed to Tampa Bay to take on Baker Mayfield and the Bucks, also three and five on the season. Bucks favored minus one in this game. It's kind of a toss up. I don't really know where to go here. So I picked the home team. Baker's actually played pretty good this year. He's been very impressive in Tampa Bay. I'm, I, I, I got to eat some crow because I, I was very mean to him in our QB tiers this offseason. I was absolutely bottom barrel on Baker. Like, what are we doing? Why are we bringing this guy in to be quarterback? But he's held it down this year. He's actually been pretty good for Tampa Bay. And a lot of respect, a lot of credit needs to go to Baker for this one. And he gets the win on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, I like Baker and the Bucks in this one at home. Give me the Bucks. This one, you talk about Geno smithing your career. Baker Mayfield might be doing that right in front of our very eyes right now. I like the Buccaneers at home to get this one done. Down starting off the afternoon slate, the Detroit Lions. They're heading over to the City of Angels to take on the Los Angeles Chargers, where Detroit will somehow still have home field advantage <laughs> over the Chargers. Right now, Detroit favored minus three. Give me the fight in Dan Campbell's. Chargers, they are decimated at wide receiver. Decimated. I think their best wide receivers right now starting this week are Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton. I mean, just terrible right now in the passing game. Justin Herbert has no one to throw to outside of Austin Eckler. Give me the Lions on the road over the Chargers. Yeah, the fighting Dan Campbell's get it done on the road. They out, uh, they out, uh, outnumber the Chargers fans probably two to one. Even though there's not a lot of Detroit Lions fans around, uh, still more than the Chargers. Uh, I will take the Lions uh, on the road in this one. Following that, Mitch, the Atlanta Falcons with the new starting quarterback Taylor Heineke headed to Arizona to take on the one and eight Cardinals. Will Kylo Murray play in this game? They've teased he could be available. We shall see. We don't know for sure yet. Maybe that affects your pick. Maybe it doesn't. Atlanta favored minus one and a half on the road. I will go with the Falcons. Taylor Heineke bringing a level of consistency to this offense that Desmond Ritter was not able to help them get the dub on the road. Yeah, if you're a betting man or woman, betting man or woman, Make sure to put this game in at the very last moment if you're betting on this game because who knows what Kyler Murray's status is going to be if he's playing or not. If he's not playing, this should be the easiest underdog you should take all week long, and I'm going to do that right now. Falcons, Falcons, Falcons. Give me the Falcons plus five, plus one and a half over the Cardinals. I like the Falcons in this game. Following that, the New York Giants, they're leaving the Big Apple to head over to the Lone Star State to take on the Dallas Cowboys in Jerry World. Dallas right now favored minus 16. Massive line. Is this Massive line. You don't see lines like that in the NFL. But I'll tell you what, with Tommy DeVito being the starting quarterback for the New York Giants, things are not looking good for New York. I got to take the Cowboys in a big, 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 Big way, Cowboys by a million. Give me the boys. The real question is: Is would you lock them to cover that minus sixteen number? Because I think I would. Absolutely, <laughs> I think, absolutely. I think I would. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I will. Uh, I will also take the Cowboys in this one. Uh, tough scenes for Brian Dable and this Giants team, uh, especially after signing Daniel Jones to that contract. He's injured. He's out. It's not a good season for New York. It'll be a. Uh, 
messy offseason, that's for sure. Following that, Mitch, uh, Washington, the commanders headed to Washington, the state, to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored minus six and a half in this one. Give me the Seahawks at home to get it done. Washington, a fun, competitive team. Sam Howell just tossing the ball all over the field. He's second in passing yards in the NFL this year. Uh, But this is not a winning team, unfortunately. So give me Seattle. Yeah, Sam Howell also first in completions and first in attempts. A guy that we didn't talk about during our our MVP. Of course, he's not the MVP of the first half. But statistically, a monster because he has to throw the ball. But I like Seattle in this one over Washington. Give me the Hawks over the Commanders in this matchup. Dallin, following that Sunday night football, the New York Jets, the J-E-T-E-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. They are leaving the state of New Jersey because they're really not even from New York to head over to Sin City to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Right now, the Jets favored by a half a point. Tight, tight line. Give me the Raiders. Give me the Raiders in this one. They want to run through a brick wall for Antonio Pierce. I think that he's got these guys pointed in the right direction as far as finishing the season out strong. Give me the Raiders in this one over the Jets. Yeah, this was honestly one of the tougher picks to make this week just because of the way Vegas has turned things around, the energy in that uh, in that team and hosting this Sunday night football game at home. But this Jets team is just seemingly finding ways to get it done and not fall behind this season. They're 4-4. Four and four, They're keeping pace. Zach Wilson's doing enough. This defense is carrying. They've got obvious flaws. But I feel like Vegas has more flaws. I'm going to take the Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets. 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 To get it done on Sunday night. That leads us to our final game on Monday Night Football. Mitch, the Denver Broncos. 3-5. and five. Headed to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. Five and four on the season. Buffalo needs to get a win. Needs to stay. Keep pace with Miami, frankly, in the rest of the AC in the playoff race. They're favored minus seven and a half at home. And they get it done. Give me Buffalo, but not to cover. This Denver team has been competitive of late. Russell Wilson, efficient offensively. Can the defense step up? I don't think so, but Denver... Uh, puts up a competitive fight in this game. Buffalo gets it done. Yeah, Sean Payton seems to be turning this team around just a hair. I like it, but I got four words for you. Let's ride. A Buffalo. Let's ride a Buffalo. Give me the Buffalo Bills. No one circles the wagons quite like the Buffalo Bills. Give me Buffalo on the road or at home against Denver on Monday Night Football. Prime time seems like a great time for them to get it done. I like the Bills against the Broncos. There you go. That's it for the quick picks this week. We'll see if Mitch can uh, can close the gap a little bit as he as he looks to uh, he looks to you know that nine nine games is tough, but uh, again halfway through the season, a lot of a lot time of ball, left. A lot of ball left. A lot of ball left. A lot of ball left, but uh, no ball left on this podcast. That'll do it for the podcast today, folks. It's all we got. We appreciate you sticking around, hanging out as always. If you joined us live on YouTube again at youtube.com slash the sports hour guys or on X formerly Twitter 
at Sports Hour, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. If you listen on your podcast feed, we appreciate it. Uh, follow the socials if you don't. Uh, mention the YouTube and the X. Follow Instagram or TikTok at the Sports Hour, guys. Uh, we always post uh, content, especially on the Instagram, leaving you keeping you up to date as when we're going live. So if you want to know when the next episode's coming, stay tuned to the Instagram. Uh, Mitch, remind people where they can find the podcast. You can find the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Get on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Look up the, uh, the Sports Hour guys, um, and you will find us there. Get on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we can get better. Fun weeks ahead. End of the college football season. Second half of the NFL season. Uh, NBA. Uh, you know, a couple weeks in in-season tournament. We got to see some of those in-season courts. Have you seen those the court designs for those in-season games for the NBA? Oh, some yeah. Very interesting colors and just... I don't know. The NBA is doing some interesting things. Uh, it's a fun time of year for sports and uh, always more to come here on the podcast uh, as we do. So we'll leave it there uh, with you folks. Appreciate you joining until next time. We love you. We appreciate you and we will catch you next week. So long everyone. And a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. 